0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. From the Gert-Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Roughly 100,000 people in the U.S. live with sickle cell disease. Most of them are African-American. Last week, the Food and Drug Administration approved two new gene therapies to treat the debilitating and painful blood disorder. One of these milestone treatments is the first ever therapy approved by the FDA that uses the CRISPR gene editing tool. It repairs a mutation that produces sickle-shaped red blood cells that can lead to stroke, organ damage, and premature death. We're going to hear about the disease and these new treatments today. Jayla Eddins is a 17-year-old high school senior in Salem who has sickle cell disease. She joins us now along with her mother, Jamie. Tricia Wong is with us as well. She's a pediatric hematologist-oncologist at OHSU. Welcome to all three of you. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Jamie, first, when did you find out that Jayla has sickle cell disease?
1: I found out pretty early Jayla has sickle cell disease when I was um, actually still pregnant. her father um, told me that he had the trait, and I knew I had the trait. So when I was going to uh, my prenatal care, they wanted um, they had me talk to a genetic counselor, and they suggest for me to have some of my um, fluids taken out of my stomach, so they could test to see. Well, Jayla had um, sickle cell, and they end up calling me and let me know that she had um, sickle cell. So I was well aware. While I was pregnant, that she had sickle cell disease.
0: Can you give us a sense for your family history of the disease?
1: Um, I, my father had sickle cell disease. Um, I have a cousin that has sickle cell disease. Uh, my father passed away um, from sickle cell. How old was he? I think he was um, thirty-four hmm. years old. How
0: old were you then?
1: I believe I was twelve. Huh.
0: So, given that history, what went through your mind when you heard that your daughter had it as well?
1: I was pretty scared. I because I, I have a cousin that's around my age, so I remember her going into the hospital a lot and her having a lot of restrictions of things she couldn't do, mm-hmm. and that I guess that was my fear of with my daughter. Is that she would just have so many restrictions, of things she can't do, um, and it, it scares me.
0: Hmm. Jayla, how have you been doing health wise over the last year or so?
2: Um, I've been doing good for the most part. Huh. I mean, I've been having some crises here and then, but besides that, I've been doing okay.
0: Some crises here and there. What is what's a crisis?
2: For me. It's like like it just kind of happens if I don't like take my medicine or something, or even if I do take my medicine, it's like a um like a pulsing type of pain for me posting pulsing
0: pulsing type of pain, yeah,
2: like your heartbeat like how it how it's repetitive, that's how how my pain is
0: and where might it be
2: sometimes, well, most times, if it's small and it goes away, it's in my neck. And then, but recently when, um, but recently it's been in my back and my stomach region. So
0: how bad can the pain get?
2: Um, really bad. (laughs) Like I like, like if it doesn't go away and it's like there and it doesn't stop, I like have to go to the hospital or, um, I just can't do anything. Like I'll have to just lay down. If I move a certain way, it'll hurt more. If I stay a certain way, it'll hurt less. Um, so it just depends.
0: Do you have any warning or any idea when it, there's going to be a crisis? Or is it just, no. it just comes out of nowhere?
2: It just comes out of nowhere. Wherever
0: you are, whenever it might be.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: What are good days like?
2: Good days are just normal. Like I, I, I go to school or I just go home. Like It's just like how any other person would spend their day.
0: Trisha Wong, can you describe why the disease got the name sickle cell?
3: Yeah, I mean it's a description. This was described in 1910, and under a microscope, the cells look like sickles. Or we, when we describe it to a six-year-old, it's they're banana-shaped.
0: I just realized you have a a, a, a t-shirt, a sickle cell t-shirt. Yes. But that looks more like a butterfly.
3: Yeah, it does. But on the wings are sickles. Oh, okay. I see, right.
0: <laughs> so, so wait. And, and But what are red blood cells supposed to look like? Yeah. And how does, how does this shape lead to severe health problems?
3: So the way I describe it to med students and, again, patients too, is that a, a cell should be like a water balloon, squishy, round. It can flex and bend through different blood small blood vessels. But in sickle cell, the hemoglobin has a mutation that makes the hemoglobin stick end-on-end end to each other, so they stack up and call, form polymers. Um, Or think of it as a water balloon now shoved with toothpicks and skewers. And that's going to both elongate and misshapen the cells into that sickle, pathognomonic sickle shape. And it is rigid now, and it causes a log jam in the smallest blood vessels in the capillaries. And when you don't get blood flow to certain tissues, and they sense that starving oxygen need, that's where the pain sets in. And then over decades, that's how you get organ damage and the strokes and the kidney failure.
0: What is the range of symptoms that that come from this disease? You're talking about so many different body yeah. systems and, and different symptoms. So, so what's the range of how it affects a body?
3: It, there are there are different types of sickle cells. So there are some that are pretty mild and they live almost pretty normal lives. And sickle cell trait is one in thirteen. Blacks in the United States, and they live almost completely normal lives, and that's the genetic carrier state to, that leads to sickle cells, so Jamie has sickle cell trait. Um, but sickle cell disease, again, is a spectrum too, but so some are mild and very rarely affected. The most severe, though, um, and especially as you age, it gets a little bit more severe. They can be on disability and not working and have had strokes, and um, their their thoughts are pervaded by pain and it's just hard to carry on jobs and relationships when you're always feeling pain.
0: Hmm. Jaylee you said that, that when things are really bad, you've you've ended up in the hospital. How often does that happen? How common is that for you?
2: Um well, I I think maybe two, three years ago, I just got put on I got put on like a medication that keeps my hemoglobin really up. So I haven't been as, in as much crises as I used to before. Um, so I mean, maybe this year I probably had like like big ones. I probably had maybe like two, three, like, but I have a lot of small ones too. Hmm.
0: Jamie, you've got the long perspective here from from when. Uh Jayla was just a, an infant. How, what was it like when she was really little in terms of the healthcare scares and and being a parent to to a, a a very sick baby?
1: Um. So her first crisis, she was about almost six months old, and I remember they had to do a spiral tap on her because she was crying. She had a fever, and I was. Like I was a single parent at the time, so I kind of had to deal with that by myself. And just seeing your five-month-old baby mm-hmm. screaming and stuff, getting a needle in a back—it was pretty rough. Um, and then they said that she still had the, I think, f um, human globin. Still, she didn't fully have, like, I guess, um, all her well, her sickle cell. Um, wasn't really all the way there yet. It, it there changes. was still
0: some of the the healthy shaped red blood cells from oh, from fetal blood. Yeah, meaning things were going to get worse in in terms of the progression of the disease.
1: Yeah. So then from there, she when after six months, we was going in the hospital maybe every two to three weeks. Um, she has. Um, spleen issues Her, I, I think I became an expert Of checking her spleen Because it feels like the tip of your nose mm. um, But her spleen kept being Enlarged um, Several different Blood transfusions I, I think her first year of life We probably was in the hospital About 12 times mm. And it wasn't like short visits It was like maybe a week or two weeks, like, in the hospital. Like, I think she got her first surgery when she was two years old, when her spleen was removed, but she was on chronic transfusions for every two weeks because she was still underweight, and they couldn't do the surgery to remove her spleen until she met weight. Hmm.
0: Jayla, what has living with sickle cell meant for school for for what school life is like
2: um well it d- really depends well i just got to a new school so basically i have um, a 504 and what's a 504 it's kind of basically like a plan so if i get sick or if i need anything they the teachers know what to do so i um I give that to the nurse. I also make the teachers aware of what I have, um, what's going to happen. And uh, some teachers, like, they know about it. Some some don't. So it's kind of, it really just depends on how it goes. If I do have a sickle cell crisis, which I haven't had much of this year, but when I usually do have a sickle cell crisis, like, I'll tell the teacher and I'll lay down because I usually try to, like, go to sleep to pass by time to see if it, like, goes away. And if it doesn't, then I take some medication for it. Um, But I, like, lay down um, or I'll go to the nurse and lay down and see if it goes away. Or it just it just depends. Or I, like, try to walk it off because sometimes depending on where the pain is, walking it off helps it um get make the pain reduce.
0: Hmm. You said you're in a new school. Now my understanding yeah. is that you moved to Salem from Philadelphia last year. So from from a much bigger city uh-uh. and from a city with a, a much higher African American population and a much higher population of both people with sickle cell and and doctors who, who treat it or teachers who have kids who have it or just I imagine much much more awareness in Philly of sickle cell than yeah. than in, than in <laughs> Portland, let alone salem you're, you're It's hard to read your smile right now, but it doesn't look like a totally happy <laughs> smile I, I, w- What has that meant
2: um it's It's just funny when I think about it because the how they tr- the hospitals here are oh, okay. Well, I mean, OSU is is much more knowledgeable about sickle cell, which is the, I'm really grateful for. More
0: so than when when you were seeking care in Salem, yeah, a, a bigger academic they city had hospital.
2: No clue. the t- freaking the um the the uh, doctor who had me, the um, the first one, right? She, I mean, he. He didn't even know what medication, some of the new medication I was on was. Hmm. I was his first patient with sickle cell. He didn't know anything. Hmm. And when I did get admitted to the hospital, um, I didn't really get any much much care hmm. either. So they like literally, they like, they seen I had a fever. Um, they seen I was sick and went, and when they found out the cause, like I, had, I think I had COVID. Once I once they found the call, they just sent me home and then gave me some medicine. Mm. And I was like still sick for like a week or two.
1: Yeah, I had to actually push them to do a CBC to check her hemoglobin level. That was like- A, a, a
0: blood test, a complete blood count?
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just to see her hemoglobin level because I don't know at that particular time she had COVID or not. But it's still, it's like a standard thing because what's coming from chop. Like Children's she,
0: Hospital of Philadelphia. Yeah,
1: Children's Hospital of Philadelphia.
0: You're testing all of my acronym knowledge. I think I'm out of it now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was It's pretty standard. Child coming here with sickle cell um, crisis or pain, they will do um, a, CB, um, a blood count on them, mm-hmm. um, chest X-ray, and then then the, I guess the other determination is if they have flu or anything. But that is pretty standard with Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. When we went to... Um, the um, hospital and sell them, I was like, "Hey, are you going to um, check her hemoglobin level?" Ah, uh, well, we just know it's, we know it's COVID, but still, you still need to check it because her stuff could be really, really low. Because she looking pale, like it's just like one of those standard things, and, and so it's a little scary. And I told Jayla and stuff because she is getting older. She had to be an advocate for herself when she is in a situation like that when I'm not around for the standard of care that you you used to. Hmm.
0: Dr. Wong, I want to turn specifically to the issue of race. As I noted at the beginning, the vast majority of people around the the world who have sickle cell disease are of African descent. How do you think in, in the U.S. that has affected the way the medical establishment has approached the diagnosis of this disease, the treatment of it, and, and research money for it?
3: In my humble opinion, very profoundly. I do think, I mean, if you compare it to cystic fibrosis and hemophilia, who are other inherited diseases that affect a much more diverse, therefore more Caucasian population, they have been able to be loud and proud and they've advocated for themselves. And I think companies and scientists have gravitated to those diseases and treating them and coming up with Cures and diagnostic testing, and sickle cell didn't have that for decades. Um, and I think it was largely because of how they're perceived by the medical. Um, establishment is my is my opinion, and I do see that that um, if a hemophilia patient comes in and says I need a thousand units of Advate, nobody questions them. If a patient with sickle cell comes in and says I need two grams of Dilaudid, everybody's questioning them because
0: Wait, th- that's that's a pain medication. It's a pain
3: medication. So yes, there is a stigma to opioids, and there is needs to be some amount of thinking about opioids before you just prescribe it, but also if it is the right medication for a patient, we would like them to be believed to say, I have 10 out of 10 pain, I need treatment. And
0: we've certainly, we've heard over the years, many studies have found that when black patients interact with the medical system, their pain is discounted in mm-hmm. ways that, that white patients' pain is yeah. not.
3: Yes, it's actually been published. I and mean, I hopefully that st- study has been disproven in the past, in the intervening decades. But yes, there's actually been studies that have shown blacks tolerate pain better, which is not true.
0: If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about sickle cell disease and, and we're going to get to this now, some some breakthrough treatments for it. Trisha Wong is a pediatric hematologist-oncologist at OHSU, meaning she's a doctor who focuses on blood disorders in children. Jayla Eddins is a 17-year-old high school senior in Salem who has sickle cell disease. She's with us as well, along with her mother, Jamie. So, Trisha Wong, let's turn to these new treatments. Um, what was your reaction when you heard the final news? There had been sort of incremental progress towards it. I'm sure you are aware of of well before many of of us um, knew about the sort of the incremental progress. But last week in the big news, the FDA said yes to these two new treatments. What went through your mind?
3: It was, oh, already was my first thought because we knew they'd been, we knew the packets had been submitted, but we were not expecting anything until I was thinking January. But Friday was also the first day of our American Society of Hematology, giant meeting in San Diego, so I think maybe the timing was to hit the big meeting announcement. But it was excitement. It was unknown. It was, oh, there's going to be a lot of logistics to figure out. Um, It was quickly to look up at the package insert to figure out what it was approved for. Obviously, the the approvals were based on clinical trials, and there was very strict eligibility criteria um, for those clinical trials. And FDA, what they adopt for their what they market it for is off. Is sometimes very follows exactly, and sometimes it, they change it a little bit. So that was my first thought: was like, who's going to be able to get this? What
0: is the therapy, especially the, the CRISPR one, going to entail?
3: They're about both the same, and f- um, that a patient would who is qualified in and insurance approval, and that's going to be a whole other ball game, would come in and get peripheral blood, their own peripheral blood collected that is rich t- for stem cells. Those stem cells are going to be shipped to, to a very high-tech manufacturing well, Let me see if I head. even understand
0: that part. So, But over weeks, uh, over my weeks understanding, because yes, there isn't that much of, of these stem cells in, in a pint of blood. So over time, a patient would, would donate their, their own blood. You get a
3: medication to kind of stimulate stem cells, and then you can get it collected, ideally in one shot. Oh, okay. But we have learned that you have to undergo one to four collections of stem cells.
0: Okay. And then those get... Sent Ship. to a lab somewhere.
3: Yeah, and it's a, it's a high-tech manufacturing plant, actually. And, and then, I always joke that they're in New Jersey for some reason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then what happens?
3: They get manipulated, very high-tech, and this is the science that's been happening for 20 years. They get uh, manipulated to the point where the stem cells, and specifically the DNA in the stem cells, are manipulated so that the hemoglobin is not sticky. So if I said at the beginning the mutation is that the hemoglobin sticks end-to-end. So it just doesn't. It, it makes it unsticky. Is that a word? Unsticky. And then um, it's frozen and shipped back to the patient's bedside. And when the time is right, the patient undergoes chemotherapy, very high doses of chemotherapy to clean out, to empty out their own stem cells, Um, their sickle stem cells. And then these manipulated, treated stem cells are reinfused. Over the next three weeks, they set up shop, they hone into the bone marrow, set up shop, and then you can slowly start seeing these Back to being round, squishy cells emerging from the bone marrow
0: so to so basically, um, th- your own stem cells are taken out and then re-engineered in a way using this gene editing technology to to make the healthy red blood cells, and then that that stuff is put back inside your body and and ideally, and this has been shown in the, in the trials, then you'll make the, the healthy shaped cells. How is the process of of putting that the, the gene editing stem cells back in your body, how is that different from the existing bone marrow transplant protocol? Is it that different?
3: The beginning part is not the, all that different. And then after you got the infusion, it's not that different. But what does save having to find a matched donor, a bone marrow transplant requires you to have as close of a match as possible. Um, and a, people of th- different ethnicities other than Caucasian have a much harder time finding a matched bone marrow. So... It takes apart having it takes away having to find a matched bone marrow donor, and then after years months later, there's something called graft versus host. That when you're not exactly matched, you have the graft can cause chronic health problems. So it takes away that because it's your own stem cells.
0: Even though it's been edited, your body still recognizes it as its as own. own. It's, it's close enough that it's not graft versus host. It's it's host it's and host.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Let's turn to the price though because the reports I've seen say that that these two treatments the the sticker price is 2 million dollars or 3 million dollars. Yeah. Um a mind-boggling sum and I but I also don't know if it's a real number. I mean is is it is is insurance going to pay for that?
3: I think that's the hope and there are some programs set up and I am not a health economist but um there are some programs set up that if it doesn't work the insurer would get paid back by the manufacturer. So that's kind of in the works. That's a novel model in healthcare. And $2 million, my understanding, is just the product. That's not going to rec- include the three weeks admitted to the hospital and the four collections of stem cells that go ahead of time. That's oh, so it gonna- could be
0: hundreds of thousands of dollars more.
3: Yeah, a million more maybe. maybe? Okay. Yeah. yeah, so this I guess is- always add a
0: zero when, when <laughs> in doubt when we're talking about the American <laughs> healthcare fair, system. It's probably a fair huh.
3: s- a suggestion. <laughs> Who—
0: who do you think is going to be is going to qualify for this? We're talking, from what I understand, another huge wrinkle here is just very few centers currently, and none in in Portland. The closest is in Seattle, um, are authorized to do this, and there there could be a, a real um, logjam at the at the factories themselves. They're they're very limited so far, just in terms of the the number of of stem cells that they can edit right now. Um, which means that even if money weren't an issue, this is just this is sort of resource limited. So who's going to qualify for this?
3: It, medicine's always a little bit the squeaky wheel gets the oil, so I do think it's going to be the more vocal people who are advocating f- with their insurance to get it. Um, it probably will start in the big centers who have a higher sickle cell population, so Children's health Hospital of Philadelphia, Atlanta, Oakland will, Probably be the highest priority, and then we are hopeful that there is no reason why somebody who happens to live in Oregon should have less access to these. So it is our intention to get qualified, but we are just not at the top of the priority list.
0: But but that is your hope at some point to have OHSU be on the list.
3: Yes, that is definitely my hope, and we have talked to both manufacturers, so that is again I think a reasonable, a cautious hope.
0: (laughs) Jayla, what went through your mind when you heard about this? this treatment that's now been approved.
2: Um I was kind of curious about it. I know my mom talked to me about it and uh me and my friends talked about it as well.
0: Friends who also have sickle cell?
2: Yeah, so <laughs> back in Philly we have um there's a couple camps for people who have sickle cell and then they put us like all in one big camp and then we go somewhere for like a week and Mm. then come back to um chop
0: Mm. what's it like to be around people where you don't have to explain yourself
2: it's it's nice we we have many things in common a lot of them have the same type of sickle cell i have so we like kind of share our experiences share like the same things we do with each other but besides that like we just have fun like it's it's nice
0: you're just friends too yeah. So was there excitement um, among your friends when you shared this news or um, questions?
2: Some of them were questioned about it. Some of them didn't really like the idea of it because they, they were kind of um, they're kind of suspicious of it, I guess.
0: Editing genes.
2: Yeah. So um, it's a lot. Of, and like some of them were not even sure if it was like a real thing. Mm. So it's... It's more so like more confusion than excitement than anything.
0: Trisha Wong, that all makes sense to me. A, a, a new, I mean, this is the very first approved treatment from the federal authorities that uses this particular technology. One, the other one uh, has is a, a still new but already approved gene editing technology. But what kinds of conversations do you think you're going to have with your patients in the coming years?
3: Yeah. Um, right now, we have been re- patients are already reaching out and interested how to get into this. So I think there are families who are like ready to go and sign me up. Where do I need to go and where do I need to sign? And so there's there's that population who's been following it and certain a little bit. But even then, the, and those we have to just be a little bit more honest and realistic and bring them down more into a realistic realm that this is not going to be. We're not quite. Calling these cures yet? I do see lay people calling this cures. I um, think we're more calling this a transformative therapy as opposed to curative because the CRISPR one we've only been studying for three to four years. We don't know what the long term effects are. So transformative is a term we're using now. Um, so we don't want people going in thinking this is a cure and walk in the park. And then there's other people who have lots of questions and unsure and not even sure this is real. And those. So we're hoping we also have a much smaller. Um, foundation for people living with sickle cell to have like a Zoom. And so we can answer all these questions together and have a little bit more of a hopefully open, safe conversation about what we think. But also as a provider, I have to be very careful about not leading anybody one way or another.
0: Hmm. Jamie, earlier um, when you were talking about um, going to the hospital for the first time, when you moved to Oregon, you said you're you're trying to Remind Jayla that she now needs to be her own advocate because you're not going to be there always. I mean, it does remind me that you're – so Jayla is a senior. So you're dealing with something that so many parents deal with, getting ready to have their kids leave the nest. I'm wondering what happens when you layer sickle cell on top of that.
1: Well – I know Jayla's looking to, for certain schools. So certain. So I tell her to look for if she's going to go to college, go to a college that's near a hospital that treats people with sick sickle cell. Like going to a climate friendly um, state if she um, like she plan on leaving out of Oregon. So when she have because with sick sickle cell, if you're too hot you can that can put you into a sickle cell crisis if you're too cold that can put you in a sickle cell crisis so i told i was like it's, it's it's i don't want to try to limit her but i'm telling her the reality of things go to a place where it is you you less likely to have a weather related crisis and a place that can treat you if a place you that crisis.
0: knows you where you're not the very first sickle cell patient that doctor has seen exactly hmm. Jayla, what are your hopes for next year?
2: Um, well, I'm still looking to in some college. I'm honestly really not sure what's going to come up for next year. I'm not sure if I'm going to stay with my mom and go to college where she's going to go or if I'm going to go to a different college somewhere else and have to stay on my own. So I, I really don't know like how next year is going to be.
0: Well, Jayla and Jamie Eddins, thanks very much for coming in. Thank you.
3: Thank you. And
0: Trisha Wong, thank you as well. Thank you. Trisha Wong is a pediatric hematologist oncologist at OHSU. Jayla and Jamie Eddins joined us as well. Jayla is a 17-year-old high school senior in Salem. Her mother is Jamie Eddins. Monday on the show, in 1973, eight Americans set out to climb the highest mountain in the Andes on an expedition organized by the Mazamas, a Portland climbing club. Two of those climbers never returned. We're going to talk with the New York Times reporter whose investigation has revived this 50-year-old mountain climbing mystery. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR One app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great weekend. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford.